Today's Hot Forward podcast is brought to you by SSV Limited. From tanks to full brew houses, SSV Limited has got you covered. In just five short years, SSV Limited have established themselves as the go-to partner to help you grow or launch your brewery. High quality tanks, parts, brewing kit and the knowledge and experience to ensure your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion. Their recently opened part shop stocks well over a thousand essential brewing parts to keep your brewery up and running. Visit their website on www.ssvlimited.co.uk. That's www.ssvlimited.co.uk. And check out their latest projects. This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, those aspiring to the dizzy heights of Hopdom, and welcome to another Hop Forward podcast. Remember the days when you'd venture down the local pub at Christmas and they'd have a 5.9% festive ale on, and you'd be all like, whoa, steady on, I better only have one of those. I mean, I'm only talking 10 or 15 years ago, but today, keg taps, cast candles, and rows upon rows of shelves are dedicated to high ABV beers, uh, ranging from lactose, milk sugar, and fruit-infused milkshake IPAs around the 6 to 7% mark, right up to 16% ice-distilled imperial stouts that have been barrel-aged for a period of time to develop in character and complexity. Did you know the highest ABV beer on record is, drumroll please, not brew dog like you might be thinking of or they might like to think uh, but it's actually another uk-based company brewmeister with a beer so high in alcohol by volume it can't be carbonated uh, snake venom is a whopping 67.5 percent abv that's insane <laughs> Um, I'd love to know if any of you listeners out there have even tried it. Um, if so, give us a tweet at hot Four beers and, and let us know how you got on. Um, anyway, today's episode is dedicated to high-gravity beers. Beers with high alcohol content, by which I mean 6% upwards, given that beer typically has been categorised for a long time as a beverage between 3 to 5% ABV, have become unbelievably prevalent in both the UK and across the world as many consumers drive demand for unbelievably big beers. Uh, you might recall around a year ago, I think it was episode four, that me and Paddy from the Sheffield Brewery Company recorded a special episode at Dark City, which is Northern Monk's festival celebrating dark beers, most of which were around the 9 to 10% mark. It's quite amazing to see festivals like this dedicated to such beers of magnitude. 
there was even one guy I saw, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he wasn't an isolated case, that was sprawled out on the ground in an imperial stout-induced stupor. Um, funnily enough, as a side note, it's reported that Arthur Guinness, who was a religious man, was incensed by moral outrage at the amount of gin and spirits being consumed in society, that he developed a dark beer, or a stout porter, it was called, which was lower in alcohol content and became the world's most famous drink, Guinness. Um, how much truth there is in that fable, who knows? Uh, but those two stories raise interesting debates around high ABV beers. I'm pretty sure you're aware that the Portman Group issued a new code of practice earlier this year with a new unit-based definition for immoderate consumption, which dictates that a single-serve, non-resealable container shouldn't contain more than four units of alcohol. Therefore, those big 750 milliliter sharing bottles of bourbon barrel-aged imperial stouts soaked with dark cherries and cocoa nibs, oh, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? I want one, uh, quickly became a thing of the past. Um, whatever your morals are, whether you're a cautious drinker, bar steward or brewer, or whether you throw three sheets to the wind and whip out your yellow belly and give it a good truffle shuffle, um, when brewed well, these beers can be some of the most intense, complex, world-class beers available. Beers to be truly experienced and savoured, an occasion in and of themselves. I think the pinnacle for many brewers out there is to brew great renditions of these styles of beers, whether that be Imperial Stouts, Belgium-style Trippels, Double IPAs or the like. These are the beers that drive the hypercraft segment of the market for sure. And yet they never sell in high volumes, but they can command really high prices from those niche consumers. As you can see, there's so much to be said on the topic of these kind of beers. And they're, they're a personal favourite of mine, uh, which is why I was really excited to go and visit Manchester's Wonder Beyond Brewing at the start of October to chat with their head brewer, Matt, about their approach to brewing high gravity style beers and their barrel aging program. If you've not seen Wonder Beyond Beers before, their artwork is as equally great as the beer inside the package. And to say that they're barely two years old, they've made a really strong impression, pun intended, on the scene. Um, so before you reach for that Rochford 10 to accompany today's interview, why not follow us on the socials at Hot Forward Beers and join the conversation? Subscribe and review to the Hot Forward podcast on iTunes and Spotify and visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in your brewing business. Whether you're a brewer, a supplier, a distributor or whatever your beer business is, we'd love to chat to you and see how we can help develop your marketing strategy, your branding, make you look awesome, uh, help grow your business and offer any technical advice uh, that you might need. Now, on to today's episode with Matt from Wonder Beyond Brewing in Manchester. I'm here at Wonder Beyond with Matt, who's the head brewer. Hello. Good morning. How, how are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well. Good. And yourself? Yeah. Not so bad. I'm, I'm glad it's sunny today. It is, yeah. I, I mean, the wet, I should imagine it's been torrential here, hasn't it? In Manchester. Yeah. 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 Uh, over the past couple of days. I think we're getting some more tomorrow. Oh, so. oh fun, fun and games. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, so, to say you launched in December 2017, yeah. um, that's like ne nearly a mere two years ago, because you're not quite two years old yet, are you? Not quite, um, At the time of recording this, you, you've made quite an impact on the, the craft beer scene. Like, how, how have you found that public reaction over the last couple of years? 
Yeah, it's it's been good. Um, there's there's you know um, sort of one and a half thousand breweries, I think, uh, in the UK now, and there's uh, there's more breweries closing at the current time than there are opening uh, for the first time in about ten years. So, given that we've got sort of people travelling across the country to come and try our beers when we launch them and and meet us at the tap rooms and come to meet the brewer events. Yeah, it's really good. I think we're in a, a lucky position, really. Um, there's se- several other decent breweries out there who have, um, you know, maybe struggled to get off the mark a little bit. Uh, so I can completely feel for them, but I think, yeah, we've, we've been very lucky. And, you, I mean, you've got some big neighbours down here. So you've got Manchester Union next door but one. Yeah, so that's I'm, correct, I'm, yeah. I was there a few episodes ago, and then uh, Alphabet literally next door. Yeah. And then got tracking cloud water just further up the arches, yeah. Yeah, so it's so all all fun and games around here. I mean, how, mm. how how do you find it in Manchester having that much competition, so to speak? So I know everyone gets on; they're all friends, but everyone's trying to sell beer to the same customers, effectively. Yeah, there's a lot of camaraderie, really. Um, the you know we uh, we all sort of help each other out if we if we have any difficulties or if you have any questions. You know, how do you process this? How do you do that? We all sort of help each other out, and we, you know, we take take beers around and share beers with each other. Um, I I think that e- even within the craft sector, there's a lot of competition for um, like bar space. So you know, if you go, move outside of Manchester and you, and you found the same thing, you'd be fighting the same pubs for mm. just you know one line. But given the craft beer scene in Manchester is really big, it's not really affected us. I don't think. Well, certainly from our point of view, our sales haven't been affected by the the people next door. I think we've all we all target a little bit of a different area of the craft industry. So you got Cloudwater, who are brewing like the juicy IPAs mostly um, as our track. You know they're they're doing very well. We've got Alphabet next door, who are trying to be a little bit more experimental, but they're they're distributing through different pubs. Mm. And then Manchester Union. They're just primarily focusing on lager, so we're not sort of treading on each other's feet. We're doing the big imperial stouts mostly in big milkshake IPAs, so you know we're not treading on anyone yep. else's feet either. So we all sort of work well together. Do you think it's better that breweries try and find a niche in in that kind of way? Absolutely, and I think that the the beers that are produced by the breweries should represent what the brewers like to drink, which is what we're doing here. Um, and I think you'd you be more successful if you do that because you know what you're looking for in the product um, personally I'm not a, a big lager drinker so if we were to try and tap into the lager market I don't think we'd really understand what sort of product we're looking for whereas the niche that we've got you know, we sort of know what, what the product needs to be at the end of the day um, where we need to target it, how we need to, you know, work work the branding around that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it obviously it's working out really well for you. I mean, yeah. um, I'm a big fan of want to be on beers. I think they're really great, and I've got lots of friends, uh, both in the industry and, and just general drinkers who really like your beers. I mean, the yeah. the artwork's amazing, and it's, it's you said it was your sister that did it, right? Yeah, it's, it's Tina that does the artwork. Yeah, um, she spends a lot of time on it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really unique as well, I think. Because, I mean, there's a lot of, obviously, cartoony type um, labels out there at the moment. Um, but it it has its own distinctive flavour, which yeah. I, th- I think lo- looks really good. Um, 
just talking about the beers themselves then, I mean, m- many of the beers you produce are like super massive black hole stouts. I know at Dark City last mm. year, um, you did a, was it a 16 point something percent? 16, yeah. Yeah, I, I had that. I didn't have too much of that because my, um, <laughs> my, my wife said to me, um, I don't want you coming home drunk. And I was like, you, you do know the premise of this beer festival, right? So uh, I, had, I had the smallest measure, but it was it was very good. But you you, you know yeah. you're into these you, mostly the the massive stouts or like the milkshake IPAs and stuff. Like, um, why the decision to smash out such gargantuan beers? Yeah, so like I've just sort of said uh, a little bit earlier that I think it's important that the brewers brew the the beer styles that they enjoy drinking. And certainly me, Dan, and my sister uh, are big fans of Imperial Stouts. Um, you know, barrel-edged beers as well. So that's that's why we wanted to do that. It, it's, it was important for us to jump in, um, you know, jump straight into brewing the Imperial Stouts as opposed to sort of let's brew a bitter and then let's do Imperial Stouts as specials. We wanted to make an impact on the scene. That's the sort of stuff we wanted to produce. We knew how to brew them well, so uh, we decided to take a risk and, and do it that way. And going back to your, your comment about the, the branding as well, you know, once once we once we worked out how we were going to launch, um, like and the the strategy would take. When we're looking at it, sort of thing, we we got distributors down, gave them all a little try of the beer, sort of thing, and we we had an official launch in December. And it's important for us that. You know, people recognise the brand and it's very distinctive, and the quality of the beer is good as well. Mm. And then that gets people back when they see the branding again, they'll buy the beer, and hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll follow us on the journey. And it sort of goes around a little bit of a circle. Yeah, the branding needs to be good, and the beer needs to be good. Yeah, and, and uh, I think that's the key. Absolutely. I think for many brewers out there, I mean myself, myself included, mm. brewing some. Like mahusive imperial stout is like the the pinnacle of brewing achievement. Yeah. Um, but there's a real skill in creating such adventurous beers as well. Like, can, can you talk us through the technical process of brewing those high ABV beers, such as your stouts, and some of the technical challenges involved in making those beers? Yeah. So we'll come up with a concept, and with different beers, we'll we'll sort of take one concept, brew the beer, learn from that beer. What can we do differently? and then maybe add a different fruit into it etc and then that's how it evolves and through that process when we brew one we'll you know we're sort of down the line now but we'll come up with a a recipe idea um, learn from the previous recipe what you know what can we change about this and it might be might be something like um, different fermentation profiles so different temperatures throughout the fermentation to ensure that uh, you know the beer obviously finishes correctly and you know it's clean um when do we add certain materials throughout the process to get the the best out of those materials so for example we add the fruit at the end of fermentation at the end of primary fermentation so that it's not all completely driven off during fermentation which has its own challenges and takes a little bit longer in tank but at the end of the day the beer's better quality Mm. and then i think Given, given where we are, people are happy to pay a premium for our product. We don't rush the beers that you know some of the beers stay in tank for, you know, maybe up to a couple of months. Um, whereas, obviously, smaller breweries that are sort of looking to you know just push out one imperial stout every year, 
there the might be pushed for tank space and capacity. So I think I think we're very lucky that we you know we can demand a premium. People will pay the premium for it, um, but it, it's all through experience and focusing yep. on the quality. And are you happy to double mash or are you able? Yeah, to sometimes just, yeah. triple mash. Wow, triple um, mash. and long boils. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it it depends on the beer. So some of the beers we do sort of overnight mashes or you know so we're mashing late one day and then coming early the next day to start the transfer. We find that the extended mash does different things for the quality of the wort, uh, but other beers will do two mashes or even three mashes at just a standard yep. forty-five minute an hour duration, and if and you know it works, they work uh, in different ways. So yeah, um, for for different types of stout that we do, you know, we'll find that there's uh, there's better ways of of doing it. So I mean, by nature of experimentation surely you're not always going to hit the mark every time like how how do you approach being creative whilst outputting beers that not only going to sell well because i think they'll sell well by virtue of that you've got a good reputation but like you know um but they're received well because like like you said you you do you're attracting a very targeted defined audience for those beers and and the consumers who drink the kind of beers that are in, in your shelf here um, mm. like they know what they're looking for and they're also quite vocal and critical so yeah. like how do you balance that, that creativity and experimentation with giving the end drinker something they know is going to be ri- reliable every time well uh, I suppose there's two ways of looking at it so we're obviously very experienced between the three of us are there's now actually six of us but there's sort of three of us that work in production um, we, we've got enough experience behind us to be able to um, almost hit the bullseye but you know sometimes w- when you're coming up with a recipe you'll you'll brew it and you think oh this is going to be a really good one and actually it's not quite as good as you expected like it's still a very solid beer um, and then other times you'll say ah well we, we can try this um, it might not be you know quite as good as the original it might be a little bit different and actually it'll go down a real storm so for example the octopod um, that just sort of followed on from Elysium so we brewed a bigger version of Elysium and then we decided to add the, the mango and passion fruit and we thought well this this might be too fruity this might not work people might not like the viscosity given it's so you know so strong um, and it went down and people raved about it and it sold out in about 40 minutes I think wow. um, which we were really surprised about and people loved it um, you know whereas other beers that will brew I'll be really confident that it's going to be really good and actually you know it's still a very good beer but maybe not quite as as we expected it but with those beers if, if they don't sort of finish and they're not quite as we expect we won't stop there with the beer we'll be like right well what can we what can we do to this beer to change it to improve it to make it better before it's released um so usually it'd just be the case of well we've got a stout here um we're aiming for sort of like a really kind of for example um off the top of my head like a you know quite coffee forward but actually could we maybe change that into a breakfast stout and make it a really good breakfast stout with a lighter coffee you know add some mm. cacao nibs um that's an example yeah uh, you know it's uh 
not in reference to any of the beers specifically, but you know, how can we change it before we release it to make it you know a really good product uh, for what it is? Yeah. So how does your yeast perform when attenuating such high ABV beers? And I mean, what sort of special treatments will you will you give it? And then what, what what would you do if it's stalled at too high gravity and ensured that, especially on the stouts, like yeah. you know, it reaches the terminal gravity? Um, it's it's about making sure that you you know prevention is better than the cure. Really, make sure that we add yeast nutrient to the copper. Uh, make sure that we aerate the wort enough prior to fermentation. Uh, make sure the cell viability is high enough. Uh, the cell counts correct. Correct fermentation profile so not having it you know ferment too hot or too cold uh, just you know ferment cleanly and then let it rise up at the end so it can finish mm. and if we do have any issues um, we can always just give it a little bit of a rouse depending on the strain some strains are notorious for sort of finishing a little bit high anyway but just sort of looking after it yeah. monitoring it uh, thoroughly throughout fermentation so are you using wet yeast or dry yeast or a combination of uh, mixture of both really we've got what have we got in tank at the moment I think we've got three different yeast strains on the right. go at the moment um, in our six tanks so yeah we're using both wet and dry yeah that's good because a lot of breweries will just use particularly more traditional ones mm. they'll just use like one yeast strain for everything yeah you know, but I, I guess they're going for certain beer styles I, I know there's one brewery local to me where I mean they, they make great beers but you, you taste it and like yeah I can tell it's one of their beers even though they're sort of pale specials because they all have yeah. that taste because that yeast profile yeah it, it's I think it's important for what we're doing because we're brewing a, a wide variety of styles and we like to experiment it, it is important for us to use different strains for mm. different things um, yeah so where do you go after creating such magnificent beers like I mean you, you do a lot of imperial stouts I mean yeah. obviously you do other, other styles as well like Berliner Weiss and uh, milkshake IPAs and stuff but like what after creating such like epic beers like how where do you go from there it's kind of like a band point out all the the, the hits like Oasis a good example in Manchester yeah. you know they, they do definitely maybe what's the story more or less every song on those two albums an absolute banger and it's like where do you go from there because you, do, you don't want to release Be Here now because you know it's just a bit crap yeah. isn't it <laughs> <laughs> well it's really exciting for us uh, if we release something really really good um, we'll we'll obviously learn from the recipe and, and maybe change it I think it's very exciting in the industry in general because you know there's so many good beers out there now that it is quite challenging from it, mm. for us uh, but we'll just continue to think of concepts and ideas uh, and you know th there's so many decent breweries in America and across the world now just looking at you know what other people are doing and not necessarily like stealing concepts but actually working out how we can put our own twist on it um, and doing something a little bit different but we, we sort of have it's not a core range but we'll do like a big milkshake IPA Elysium and then we evolved it into Octopod and then we did Nautiloid, Change of Fruits and we've just done a, another one now which should be released within the next couple of weeks I think called Gulp so it's the same as Octopod but with peach and apricot Right. Uh, so it's just really playing around with materials and seeing you know what's the very best we can get out of them and learning you know I'm not saying that this will actually be a beer but the octopod, I think the mango really works well, and we might learn that 
the peach is better than the apricot in the, the next bit and maybe try com um, a combination of the two or maybe doing a smaller version of it mm. you know to make it more accessible um yeah the option uh, the ideas are sort of endless you know we just keep keep progressing and, and yeah just learning from what we do yeah. so talk to us about your barrel aging program because like in, in the next room uh, yeah a, a whole whole bunch of barrels like how, how did you get into that and what are the, some of the key lessons you learned from barrel aging yeah, so the barrel aging program, uh, that's that's very exciting. We've not released many yet, uh, but there's going to be a lot more on the horizon. What, what we actually have been doing for the past couple of years is if we've produced a big imperial stout, we've maybe just pulled like one barrel off um, of that before we either, you know, whatever we packaged it in, um, you know, pulling one barrel off first uh, and then just leaving it for six to nine months um, and just seeing how that sort of develops with the wood um, and then we've done other beers that have just gone into wood as well um, so we did a, our 100th brew was just a barley wine and we, we've got maybe 7 or 8 different types of barrel uh, which we, we might end up releasing some of that as single barrel releases mm. or maybe blending some and just really playing with the flavours you know, learning what each barrel can do uh, what the you know the previous contents can give to the beer and you've got micro oxidation as well and you've got different uh, yeast and bacteria that that were in some of the barrels as well so learning how they interact with the beers so I think that's that's really exciting that's the thing that I'm most looking forward to of the next sort of couple of years uh, with one beyond yeah I mean there's a definite skill isn't there yeah um, we, I mean with all the breweries out there um, aging and souring beers in wood I think it's something a lot of people start to dabble in uh, yeah for sure um, I mean wh wh where where did you start especially with learning things like how to you know the, with the nuts and bolts of like how to clean it or how to rack beer from a barrel or and you know and put it in cans or whatever like yeah well with the barrels it's reasonably straightforward um, cleaning wise I think I asked a few years ago just spoke to a couple of people about how they did uh, you know worked with barrels I even spoke to people up at Brewdog um, that were in charge of the Overworks project when that first started as to you know what they were doing with the barrels how they were cleaning them emptying them um, and that was pretty straightforward uh, really um, we need to make sure that we comply with HMRC's regulations I think that was that's probably the, the only challenge that we've really had to face with them H HMRC are a challenge <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but no, no, it's it's reasonably straightforward. It's you know easy for us just to you know once we clean the barrel, just pull the beer off mm. from the tank once it's finished, and just leave it in in the barrel in in the store and just leave it to do its own thing. Yeah. Sort of thing. Taste them periodically to make sure that they you know you know work out where they're gonna um, peak. You know where that we're not sort of leaving them for too long, and they're gonna fall off the cliff. But then you know giving them enough time in the barrel so that they're going to mature well yeah so how, how do you know when it's just right i think there's a bit there's a little bit of a curve so we for example we've just tasted or well, we, we did a bit of a barrel tasting a couple of weeks ago but there, there's one that we recently racked off which is the uh, imperial berlin of ice the colossal creek and um, we put that in a px barrel and that's tasting really good already and we, we're just going to taste it in a month and work out, you know, if, is it still improving? 
Um, and if so, yeah, we'll leave it. Is it improving? No, it's about the same. Then we know that that's the point that we need to, you know, package mm. it in some some format or another. Yeah, totally. So, what what's the long term goal for Wanna Beyond? Like, wh- where do you envision yourself in? I don't know, like twenty years time. Um, I'd like to think that we can still be as creative and innovative, and you know, experimenting with new materials, but. Honestly, I think you know the um, the craft beer sector is going to change dr- uh, dramatically over the next twenty years. We don't know what's going to happen with politics. You know what the drinkers are going to want. People might uh, go back to drinking, you know, just sort of traditional, safe beers, um, so to speak. You know, go back to breweries that are producing just a consistent core beer, uh, which you're already starting to see that people are drinking Tim Taylors again. Yeah. It's come around in, in a big circle, really. Um, you know, I would hope that we we could still continue to educate ourselves and learn from what we're doing, uh, and work with different producers as well, not just of beer, you know, but maybe try and uh, speak to some you know wineries in France and see what they're doing and, and learn from them, and you know, try and just keep it exciting for everyone really, mm. um, both in terms of the the production team and the the staff here and and the drinkers yeah. that have followed us. Yeah, so. What one piece of advice would you give to anyone out there listening to this yeah. who aspires to be this kind of brewery with with their either their own brewery or like that you know their cuckoo brewing or gypsy brewing or whatever it is like the kind of thing you'd say to yourself several years ago like what, yeah. what what's kind of like the one bit of advice you'd give them no, normally the answer to that question is don't do it <laughs> well <laughs> that was going through the back of my mind. <laughs> Um, but I'll, I'll actually reword that because I think, in some ways, it's really good for the industry that we've got more people coming on board now that have actually got really good ideas as to you know um, what they can produce in terms of beer. Because you know we're all drinkers as well, and I like to go down to the pub and see something new ex- mm. and exciting on the taps, or you know something that's really good that I've seen around for five six years. You know I like to see the variety. And it's good for the industry in general that the quality is going up. Uh, I feel sorry for some of the brewers at the bottom who, who are really struggling um, that don't quite understand um, or find it difficult maybe to, to break into the market properly. So I won't say don't do it. I would just say you have to have a good business plan, a good strategy, um, and just you know stick with it. Know your target market, know how to brew, know how to brand, and know how to sell. It's not necessarily about being business-minded as such. Um, you know, focus on the quality. Just just make sure that you're not being completely over, overly naive about it. Yeah. Um, know exactly what you want to do. Know exactly where you're going to target it. Uh, and make sure that the market's still there for it. Don't know what's going to happen with the politics. I'm not going to obviously shed any light on, onto that too much. Uh, but, you know, if, if for whatever reason people started drinking less in pubs and drinking more in, in, her, in you know at home sort of thing and not going to the pub making sure that you've covered all grounds and you know you're not just going to produce cask beers for example you know that you're actually you know you're going to be able to support yourself yeah um, it's a lot of hard work and there's no money in the industry so I won't say don't do it just make sure you know what you're getting yourself in for that's uh, yeah. sound advice yeah 
I couldn't agree more. Well, th- thanks for being on the podcast today. Um, like, h- how can people find out more about Wonder Beyond and try the beer for themselves? Well, the website, uh, <laughs> given that we're still a very small team, uh, and we've got other things to prioritise. Unfortunately, at the moment, the website is still work in progress. But just follow us on social media. you find out about events, new beers, launches, tap rooms, all that side of things through our social media. Um, and if you're in Manchester, there's a couple of pubs that you can pop to. They're not on Deansgate and the Chalton Tap. They always supply our beers. Um, so keep your eyes open there. If we've got anything new and exciting, it always goes through the Knot Bar. Um, even barrel edge launches, you know, they'll, they'll get at least one case of, of the beers there. Um, and coming up in the near future, we've got hopefully our second birthday party in December. Not quite sure the format of that yet, but we'll definitely be open around the middle of December yep. uh, for people to come enjoy some uh, new and exciting beers. So I hope to see you there. Amazing. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Today's Hot Ford podcast was brought to you by SSV Limited. From tanks to full brew houses, SSV Limited has got you covered. In just five short years, SSV Limited have established themselves as the go-to partner to help you grow or launch your brewery. High quality tanks, parts, brewing kit and the knowledge and experience to ensure your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion. Their recently opened part shop stocks well over a thousand essential brewing parts to keep your brewery up and running. Visit their website on www.ssvlimited.co.uk. That's www.ssvlimited.co.uk and check out their latest projects. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hi, so